Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. Why would you want to win the trophy for best pale ale if you are selling your beer to consumers as an IPA? That then is that's a meaningless win. You can't market that win. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 31 March 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Australian Brews News, and I'm joined by senior journalist Claire Burnett and industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome back, Claire Burnett. You've been uh, a little bit unwell, but not with the dreaded COVID. No, not with the Rona, thankfully. Um, I forget that there's any other diseases sometimes. Um, but yeah, back in action now. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, we, <laughs> you were missed, uh, I can Thank honestly you for say. And welcome back, Sabrina. Thanks, Matt. Good to hear you both. Bit of news this week, so how about we just roll straight into it. Claire, the IBA welcomes excise payment changes, but not all of the ones that we were expecting. So the IBA has welcomed changes announced in this week's federal budget. Uh, Amongst the measures designed to align excise and other reporting requirements, the government announced businesses with an annual turnover of less than $50 million uh, will now be able to lodge and pay excise and excise equivalent customs duty on a quarterly basis uh, from the 1st of July 2023. The IBA has has described the change to payment schedules as an important one for brewers and follows the Industry Association's response to the federal government's deregulation task force uh, in August last year. Despite suggestions that there would be a reduction in excise on keg beer, uh, draft beer, which would mean that the levy on beer kegs would be cut from, uh, I think the suggestions were about uh, $35 from $70, uh, this did not come to pass. The Australian Hotels Association, Clubs Australia and the Brewers Association had lobbied for the change, but the IBA did not. Kylie Lethbridge, uh, chief exec at the IBA, said they had been reticent to endorse a cut to draft tax as it may not have had a positive impact for their members. However, they welcomed a relief on growlers and the changes to the excise framework. So some of the industry might be disappointed in the move, uh, but there are some organisations that have welcomed the news. Uh, according to FAIR, that's the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education, the tax cuts were a gimmick anyway and expensive and ineffective, as well as strongly opposed by more than 80 health and community leaders and organisations. It accused the industry of attempting to use the cover of the pandemic to get a handout on top of their billion dollar profits. Uh, so, yeah, mixed reviews on that one, Matt. Uh, I'm sure we'll briefly mention it uh, below the fold. Uh, but we've also had some news from the Melbourne Royal this week. So uh, entry deadlines actually close uh, tomorrow. So probably when everyone is listening to this um, Friday morning, uh, if you haven't already, get entering. But this week, a rule change at the Melbourne Royal Australian International Beer Awards caught the eye of brewers. The new rule says that beers must be entered into their correct class according to style. It stipulates that the style of beer stated on the commercial label must match the class that it's entered. Uh, for instance, if the style on the beer stated on the label is uh, India Pale Ale, then it must be entered into an PA class. Beers will not be eligible to win a trophy if the commercial name of the entry stylistically differs from the class it was entered into. Uh, so a new change for this year, very interesting, caused a lot of discussion as well. Uh, so we'll again talk about that one below the fold. 
Drinkwise has also launched uh, a mental health campaign this week. So Drinkwise and federal member for Macquarie, Susan Templeman, with the support of Reach Out, have launched the Never Have I Ever campaign. This week on the Beer is a Conversation podcast, Matt actually spoke to the advisory, uh, youth advisory group member Caitlin Daly and Drinkwise CEO Simon Strahan about the campaign. And you can find that on the Radio Brews News podcast feed uh, if you're interested. That's a really good one uh, for Matt this week. We've also got a few bits and bobs up here in Queensland. So uh, Sunshine Coast Beverage Precinct attracts $33 million from the federal government. You might remember we wrote about the Turbine Collaborative Food and Beverage Manufacturing Precinct on the Sunshine Coast. It was meant to enable small and medium food and beverage manufacturers to innovate, scale up, all that kind of thing. And for brewers in particular, there were some interesting uh, suggestions that they would bring in uh, contract brewing capacity, potentially a alcoholizer and or zero alcohol facilities uh, but that uh, precinct is expected to commence operations in late 2023. Finally this week uh, Pink Boots has announced 10th anniversary brew days uh, so Pink Boots in Australia is celebrating its 10-year anniversary this year uh, and the brew days will be announced on Pink Boots social media kicking off with the gin making day at Brogan's Way on the 11th of April 2022. Um, so that'll be a good one for Pink Boots as well and just starts the celebrations off um, for what I'm sure will be a great year for Pink Boots. And I will just uh, let listeners know that even though you are better, you are phoning this in from <laughs> uh, so not, not on the best uh, phone connection. So apologies for the audio quality with Claire um, this week. But Claire, if anyone was making a Pink Boots beer that you know, has a limited release, you know, probably not a huge run of packaging. Um, oh, oh, where would they go, Matt? Sus- what would they do? <laughs> I suspect that there are people that can help them called Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. Um, they're not just able to supply label for your cans or bottles, but they can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. You don't need a shrink-sleeving machine yourself. They come delivered to you, palletised and ready to fill. Nothing more to do. Give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further and you'll find a link to them in the Australian Brews News Business Directory, your best brewing directory guide uh, on the internet. Um, And you can also give them a call on 1300 852 235 and you'll find that in the show notes. Below the fold, any of those stories grab anyone's attention? Tax is always a big issue. I think that deregulation, so the focus by the IBA on deregulation is smart. I think if we look at um, certainly um, from a New Zealand perspective, I know one of the points we kept making to government was it wasn't any one piece of admin that was kill, was killing mm. breweries. It was the cumulative impact of okay, the, I see what you mean, deregulation in terms deregulation of, yeah, in the, terms red of tape. the yep. red tape. And so yeah, yeah. I, I think that moving to quarterly processing is really smart and it's one of the things when we um, hear about container deposit schemes, for example, yes. it's actually those yeah. administrative mm. burdens that are really, really difficult for small businesses to absorb and to undertake. So I think that's a really smart approach from the IBA. Um, And you can see where there would be, um, just as we've commented at length about that $350,000 excise um, threshold uh, and where it hasn't necessarily created the benefits when we look at it overall for the groups that we thought they might have, e.g. the hotels associations are really leveraging it to um, think about their own brewing operations um, you know, it can be seen that, you know, excise relief like this, um, such as the one that was proposed, 
it doesn't necessarily flow in the ways that you might think it is. So again, you know, that's sort of a smart look from the IBA. Um, that being said, I was just um, digging into, uh, someone posted in the Radio Brews News Group that there's an article with a headline, Beer Tax Cut Branded Sexist and Ineffective, um, effectively because um, more men drank beer and according to the Australian Institute, it would be a gender-biased subsidy, um, which, you know, just... Is that what, like, Greg Holland was saying? Yeah. You know, the so cocktails that, and spirits guy, that's yep. the same sort of thing he was going with. Yeah, that's so it's, it's just sort of, um, again, you know, we get into this conversation about excise and we, and we pull out all the tropes around... Um, fighting within alcohol groups to try and get equitable treatment and actually what we end up doing is having these conversations that are not helpful in a public slinging match that are not actually helpful in terms of the way that we want to think about our products and so you know I went down that rabbit hole as well and got really annoyed about that Um, and none of it actually related to tax policy which is quite challenging it was all the stories around the tax policy. So that's they—they they were all the thoughts that I had around it. You, you can understand why distilled spirits would be concerned about one small thing, and it—let's face it—the cost of a schooner at the pub is one of those things that, as this proposed cut, made headlines everywhere, and it is just a, a vote winner. Yep. I don't oh, think yeah. consumers would have paid a cent less at the at the pub. I think it would have been a sop for. Publicans. It was the Australian Hotels Association. You know, maybe it would have given them money to spend on marketing and things like that, but consumers wouldn't mm-hmm. have uh, gotten any um, or, additional Or a very, benefit. very small yeah. portion of it, right? Instead of it well, being it, 30 cents, it's 10 cents. Who's going to drop a schooner by 10 cents? You, you want round numbers. It's just not going to happen. I agree. And it, it, it shows the power of the Hotels Association's lobbying efforts. Um, but at the same time, at, at, at a time when hotels are selling for record values, how can they be out there crying poor? Um, it, it would have helped um, anyone with a tap room. So small brewers with a tap room, it would have given them the profit. But again, mm-hmm. it would have gone to them deservedly. Yeah. But the government yeah. could have taken that money and given much more targeted assistance. And then the best assistance is getting out of business's way with red tape, as Sabrina said. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's interesting then that, sadly, we seem to not go as sensational as, as fair on that one, but fair enough what they were saying, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to benefit anyone. They did point out that, um, you know, a lot of alcohol companies collectively will have massive profits. So do we really want to add to that? That wasn't a win that the government cared about making this time. So No, and it's really interesting because some of these, I mean, I don't want to get into my overall impressions of the budget, um, but some of these, (laughs) some of the splashy headline numbers. Yeah aren't actually the things that will really make a, um, necessarily make a difference in the lives of people or the lives of businesses. And so things like that are a little more um, esoteric and smaller that don't sound like such a big deal will have an on-the-ground impact. Um, and so when you think about it from a small to medium uh brewer's perspective, um, that's sort of that on-the-ground impact is really important. Um, that being said, you know, we know that the brew pub model is the model that's coming um, in terms of the way people are entering the market is increasingly becoming one of the only sustainable models for entering the um, brewing market and your largest margins are on um, 
you know, beer over your own taps. And so, you know, that that 50% saving would have – potential 50% saving would have had a direct dollar impact. Um, so, you know, it's a difficult one. Tax policy mm-hmm. is you pull one thread and, this you know – This is the unintended you, you consequences. Know, the unintended Absolutely. consequences. Yeah, yep. that's it. That's it. So moving on from the IBA excise changes, um, the labels should match entry category, says Melbourne Royal. That attracted a lot of discussion online. Didn't it? I was actually really surprised because to me it was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like no additional comment. Apparently there were lots of questions about it. We had multiple brewers emailing us, number one pointing out, being like, what does this mean? And then also questioning things like um, if if their IPA is a lower ABV than that stipulated in the US Brewers Association style guidelines, then like, does that mean it's not eligible for that category? It can't win a trophy. Um, actually, yes. they uh, did specify that that's okay. So they are using the um, US guidelines, but they aren't sort of being su- uh, supremely strict about it. You know, they're, they're allowing for um, different ABVs and different categories and things like that. Um, but it, it really whipped up some discussion that I was really surprised about. I have spent considerable time thinking about this precise issue and I just find it really surprising that people find it surprising. So, again, it's one of those things that is so obvious to me. We have this challenge in the market that as the beer styles have continued to evolve and people are pushing the boundaries of things, you know, what is an IPA rubs up against what is a parallel. Um, and, and in a range of other areas. However, for the purposes of a trophy, uh, and we had this incident in New Zealand last year where um, a uh, – and I think I have addressed it somewhere um, previously, but we had um, in the specialty and experimental trophy category, um, in that was our low, a, um, low alcohol, low and other reduced alcohol – and Spates Mid Ale, which is a um, what would be considered a mainstream mid ale, won specialty and experimental trophy. Those two things were not inconsistent, but they, but Lion, who won that trophy, could not market that beer because nobody would associate specialty and experimental trophy with um, with um, Spates Mid Ale. So my point is, brewers that are concerned about whether they can't win the trophy. Why would you want to win the trophy for best pale ale if you are selling your beer to consumers as an IPA? That then is that's a meaningless win. You can't market that win, so it, it's completely useless to you. So, what would be the point of wanting to win that? So, you know, from a brewer's perspective, you should want to win a trophy that helps you sell more beer. And in part, that has to do with the way that your beers – are your beers adequately describing the beer that you've got? And we know in some circumstances people want to make their beer an IPA because the label it, – it it's more sexy at the moment and so it sells better. But if you are then – you know, why would you want your IPA to win Best Pale Ale Trophy or vice versa? Right, you should, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I understand that the concern is around where styles are blurred, but mm-hmm. a competition has to be able to evaluate based on some level of consistency and it has to have something to judge against. Otherwise, it's just everybody's preference. But also you're misrepresenting the beer to consumers. The, the, yeah, that's the important thing, I think, and that's what the Melbourne Royal people were saying. They were like, 
how does that help cus- like consumer education if you're confusing these categories and these lines they don't know if what they're talking about if it's a pale ale but it's gone for an IPA vice versa so that's very confusing for a consumer who doesn't necessarily know that sometimes those lines are blurred but yeah really very interesting yeah I mean clarity is helpful for everyone that's all that's Mm. my pitch um Drinkwise launches mental health campaign this was a really interesting one when it came out again you know always interested when the industry is taking proactive steps around, you know, mindfulness in, in, in drinking because it's very much against what some of the uh, anti-alcohol groups say it is. But also their campaigns are, tend to be very clever and very impactful, if that's a word. But this one particularly, that it came from a group of young people in an electorate, raised some issues with their local member and made its way to Drinkwise, and Drinkwise picked up the ball and ran with it. So I, I, I don't think we need to discuss it too much, but just a bit mm. of a teaser. Go listen to it, it. It's probably not our standard beer as a conversation, but um, it was a really, really interesting industry approach to a, a, a problem that is increasingly, uh, you know, getting mainstream attention. But I think, um, Matt, so I think, you know, I listened to your podcast um, with Drinkwise um, and... Caitlin? And Caitlin. And so I found this um, campaign really interesting and we know there was the recent campaign, um, Claire will correct me, I think it was in Victoria with a wine trail where they were uh, teaching what equated to standard drinks. So there's was Yeah, some, with the scorecards and things like that. Yeah. yeah, so these sort of homegrown grassroots campaigns that then get next level support seem to be the ones that resonate the most. And so that's great to see that there are bodies out there picking it up. But the other aspect that I thought was really interesting to listen to, and this is this concept that, you know, craft beer has grown up over the last 12 years. And so the people that were passionate about the start of the craft beer movement are sort of I don't want to say aging out, but they've <laughs> but they've got but they've got kids, they've got families. They're not following Instagram for the latest new beers. They are not what would be considered, you know, the diehards anymore, or or that group of diehards are, are, are smaller. And so that next generation of consumers that are coming through that may create the next craft beer movement, or or need to to fall in love with what everybody fell in love with that created this sort of explosion of craft quote-unquote over the last 15 years and so um, there were some really insightful comments I thought um, from Caitlin around consumers at around that 18 to 25 age mark that they were talking about in their youth group and some of the struggles um, and connecting some of the no low alk and I I know we've got some comments in the mailbag so I just think um, you know, for brewers above anything else, listening to some of those comments direct from consumers and some of the challenges, I think is really um, interesting because I think as an industry, we need to step back and look at our consumers in those age groups and what does it mean for the future of craft beer at a higher level. And so I just found some of those comments really interesting. Yeah, I I think you make a good point. And the thing that I found most interesting was the way and on, on the same thing, you've got a twenty-year-old saying that they found the campaign that was brought back to them by Drinkwise as being edgy because never have I ever been a drinking game. Yeah, and the way that they use that, if you've got the target audience going, wow, like oh, oh, oh that's a little bit. Um, 
<laughs> they're hopefully going to take it seriously. It's not like your teacher coming and saying, That's don't right. do drugs, just say no kind of thing, which probably shows my age. Um, but <laughs> it's, um, you know, it, 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 you can't just have a campaign. You need a campaign that people will listen to. And yep. uh, it, it sound, the, the, the signs are that that's what they're um, doing. Um, and it, it, it's also, again, not wanting to go down the uh, um, any alcohol campaign, but it's not demonising alcohol. It's not making you feel bad for drinking. It's making you aware of drinking. Um, mm. It's making you aware of the pitfalls and what your friends may be going through and things like that, which, you know, it, it, it is an important part of it. I mean, I just think the whole thing was really interesting um, and – you know, we've got a whole new range of consumers with maybe not new issues, but certainly a new environment. Um, and so, you know, as an industry, we need to be super mindful of it. That's all of the news uh, for Below the Fold. Um, mm-hmm. I posted, there was just a story that I that caught my eye during the week where you've got Rolling Stone magazine um, posting a trend spotting it, they even called it trend spotting in 2022. So Ooh. by the time a magazine like Rolling Stone is doing anything that it says is trend spotting, you're pretty sure that it's trended. Well, uh, <laughs> three months into 2022, they're still going to be before you know before the shark. It was an interesting article Ooh. where an insider's take on the quiet revolution going on in craft beer. So if if you're not a member, not there is some really interesting stuff that's just uh, shared um, and intelligently discussed on the Radio Brews News Facebook group. But this was an interesting story where somebody was involved uh, in um, early craft beer and now is involved in venture capital, I believe, was looking at the last two years. But the thing that really caught my eye was the fact that in a mainstream media article, he was talking about... Um, the definition for craft beer um, mm-hmm. in, in a way that just assumed that people knew it, but then also throws in a line like, yes, there will be slime beers and exploding smoothies, but there will be fewer breweries relying on them as foundational revenue. As a writer um, or as an editor, and I know that Rolling Stone still writes um, very well, um, if that needed clarification about what a fruit, a slime beer or an exploding smoothie was, they would have put in a paragraph saying, you know, based on this, this, and this. Mm. But to just throw that line in, clearly there is enough cultural cachet that people are going to understand what's going on or at least uh, a certain segment of their readership doesn't need that line explained to them, Yeah, um, which cool. says a lot. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think that's one of the uh, – it, 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 it's something that people who want to look at a longer-term view for craft beer probably need to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my, yeah. You know, that's my passion project, Matt, what is <laughs> the future of the craft beer movement. Um, so I had a, um, I'm going to call it a hobby horse below the fold. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge that in um, when we have been receiving media releases week on week around recent board appointments, and I've been making some comments about those, that a couple of weeks ago, um, Yakima Chief Hops have Um, made a new board appointment and that person happens to be a woman Um, and what was really interesting about that is that you could see um, based on appointments although um, it's difficult to actually figure out who all of the members of the Yakima Chief Hops board is currently based on some recent 
media releases dating back last year as well, they seem to be going through a um, concerted effort to increase the diversity, um, visible and uh, competence on their board. And so even the headline to their article was, uh, to their media release was, Yakima Chief Hops appoints new member to board of directors, broadening perspectives in global Aborigine business and ESG. So didn't, you know, make the appointment that diversity was necessarily just about the fact that it was gender-based, but also about the area that come from. So, um, you know, um, Yakima Chiefs does the um, Pink Boots blend annually um, and, you know, they're clearly being very mindful of diversity in terms of their um, board appointments, etc. So I just wanted to give a shout out where, you know, credit, where credit's due for those in our midst that are doing the that are doing the right thing for their business um, and and for the industry at large. Mm. Um, so, what do you think about speaking of doing or attempting to doing the right thing? We got a, a press release about Endeavour Group's supplier forum, and in it, they were talking about extending temporary fourteen day payment terms and a lot like allowing faster payment to small suppliers. It was an interesting one for me. They also mentioned how they were trying to keep costs down, but they expected things to rise in the coming months. Um, It did seem a little bit like give with one hand and take with the other. Um, Like for now, you're okay, but later on, you know, expect something worse. Uh, What what did you think? What did you think, Sabrina? Was that fair? Was that great on the Endeavour Group's? I mean, I anticipate that's exactly what they're saying Um, because – and by diversity you mean because there's two large retailers, they can basically set whatever terms they want and everybody needs to respond. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, so cash flow. So if you think about the two things combined, the excise by quarterly uh, filings um, and this, you know, we know that for small businesses often cash flow is king. So Endeavour are clearly trying to make sure that they are – paying quickly to enable cash flow. That's a positive thing all round. I know that um, in New Zealand, Lion and DB did that from the start of the pandemic as well. Um, But we have been talking for some time that costs are rising everywhere. So I anticipate they are flagging that there will be a squeeze and we know Mm -hmm. that there will be a squeeze coming from every direction for -hmm. for industry. So, yep, um, competition would be great. Economies of scale would be great. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. Well, that's the news and the discussion about the news for the week. And now we move on to Mailbag. Again, Mailbag is brought to you thanks to New Zealand Altrail. Uh, New Zealand borders open up in April. And uh, you, if you are planning on going, your first stop should be to New Zealand Altrail, nzaltrail.com or at nzaltrail on social media because they will help you find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. The first email this week is from Nikolai McCarran on low alcohol beer, which we've got a bit of discussion around low alcohol beer. Um, oh, yeah. In response to your query about low, low ABV, I definitely have bought a low ABV slab of Heaps Normal and bought singles of the new additions to the low ABV beer selection. I'm a 24-year-old Gen Z home brewer and enjoy trying new styles. I think low alcohol is a welcome fad that will have its place in the market. However, if I want low no-alcohol options, I'll revert to a homemade kombucha or lemon-lime and bitters. But my non-craft friends love the option of a non-alcoholic drink that fits into the social norm. 
In my mind, it fills the same spot that seltzer does, but with the potential for bringing new customers to the craft beer sphere. That's not to say I don't predominantly drink beer. I'll always go for what I enjoy, and I'm yet to have a non-alcoholic beer I truly enjoy. But there are those who do, and all power to them. Uh, it's unfair to put those down who choose not to drink, but we as a society do. It uh, doesn't help that I haven't brewed one that I've truly enjoyed. Nevertheless, options are key to bringing more people into the fold and giving people a choice. Um, very well said. Yeah, absolutely agree. Do you want to read the next one and then we can... Sure. Uh, oh, yeah, may as well wrap them up. Now, this is from Ben Stewart, also on low alc- uh, On the topic of low, no-alcohol beers, I'm regularly buying low, no-alcohol options, I'd say at least once a week. Could be that I grab a four-pack from Dan's because I have a bit of a busy week and I'd like to have a beer without having to worry about needing to go somewhere else or I don't feel like having an alcohol beverage. Uh, or I could be out with friends and I've driven. Having a low no-alcohol option helps keep up the vibe of everyone sitting around having a beer while I don't have to worry about accidentally drink driving. Uh, we mostly go to breweries around Brisbane and they usually have sober in cans and the fridge is behind the bar, at least one of the two options. Uh, when needs arise, I'll be content with the Heineken Zero or Carlton Zero if there are no other options. I'm 27, which puts me at the tail end of millennial generation. I'm usually the only one in our group making this choice as far as I can see, um, despite not being the only one that has driven. So there you go. So uh, certainly the, the use case is there, but it's the use case that I think we, we've been saying. It's uh, where you want to fit in. Um, I don't think people are making it their first choice. Fit in or he, he is saying he's making it his first choice where he wants to drive. So mm. then he's making that his first choice over water mm. or lemon, lime and bitters or Coke or Coca-Cola. Well, no, I, Coca-Cola. I, 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 I would argue that he's driven and so it's the default option as opposed to it's his first choice. Well, no, because your first choice could be <laughs> Coca-Cola. Your yeah. first choice could be some alternate. Okay. Your, you've oh, made a choice I, to drive. So his first default choice... Would be to not drive. <laughs> His first choice would be to okay. not drive. Let, 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 let's not fight in front of the kids. But okay, yes. so, um, so, uh, uh, but I think if you combine these two things with the insights from Caitlin around the Drinkwise talk um, campaign, there is, uh, and and both of these gentlemen are in that. Um, I think they said twenty four and twenty seven. So a tail end of millennials, start of the Gen Z. Um, you know, around that age group. You are seeing, and the data is telling us, and it's coming out, you know, notwithstanding the hype pieces, there is ongoing work being done in the space. Drinkwise talked about another campaign that they'll be looking into. Well, they've partnered with Dan Murphy's um, on these alcohol-free. Yep, that's right. Um, they're doing that big piece of work around with BWS coming up. Again, but again, I don't want to flog a hobby horse, um, but if... You're an alcohol manufacturer and people are drinking less alcohol. You don't just shut up shop and go, no one wants our product anymore. You, you look at how you diversify into that, other. That's so, right. And mm-hmm. that, that, that's my argument. That the drive seems to be from people who are trying to encourage it So, for their vested interest. Consumers are picking it up. But all of the hype and the nonsense is – all of the hype and conversation is being driven by the people with a vested interest in the category doing well as opposed to con- consumers who are demanding that it being made. Consumers are picking it up but at a much lower rate than the um, – But yes, yes, and I think that's clear in these two anecdotes, you know, both saying that um, it's great that there are options but they wouldn't always choose that option or their friends wouldn't always choose that option. Mm-hmm. Um, but, y- you know, I mean um, – we know we had a quick look at some trademarks recently and there were several more no-alc um, trademarks 
in there. And so it's clearly something that breweries are gravitating to to provide an alternate option. And I used to always joke that, you know, I only drank three things, water, booze and coffee. Um, and my and my booze is you know beer or wine, um, and I don't I do not want to go somewhere and order a soft drink. That I hate ordering a soft drink. And when I was pregnant, mm-hmm. I used and the only option available was Heineken Zero. I would drink a Heineken Zero, and yeah. so um, because that is the flavour profile that I like to drink, mm-hmm. along with coffee and water. And I didn't want to water. So, you know, yes, it was in that case my default choice um, because I was not able to make other choices. But, I, you know, I, have, I think there is a use case there. And clearly, um, if you're a brewery and you want to make your, your tap room and your environment cater to everyone, you want choices for everyone yep. within the wheelhouse that you are specialists at. I think that's uh, just a step away from whether there is a market for it. Um, looking at the business side of it, is that I think that's where it's going to be very... It's not going to be a huge market. It's going to be a market. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of challenges for... I think it's going to be a market that favours the larger brands and the larger breweries because if you are a small you know, craft brewery in a tap room, it's probably not something that you're going to make your own because you can't yeah, put it in. Except if you're in Queensland where you could go to the Queensland <laughs> Drinks Accelerator because they've just announced that one of, you know, that linking back to that other article, which was that they've, that they've made that precise mm. point, Matt, which is that the quality procedures and the processes necessary um, to produce low and no alcohol beers is technically beyond small, some small craft breweries to have, the equipment to do that well and so what if they could provide a place that would enable um you know it's 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 combining your back end so for that particular product you can come here and make it because you're making it in small volumes because you know it's a small run but you want to have it available so that you can provide the great tap room experience to everyone um you know that is one of the solutions there to have that equipment Although then you're also crushing up if you're a small brand and this provides and not really an awesome initiative and it's going to provide infrastructure for people that want to do it. But if you're a really small brand, the alcohol-free um, has a huge number of other challenges because you don't have alcohol. You know, so it really becomes much more like a food stuff um, yeah. because it doesn't have the alcohol in. Um, you, you can't put it on tap um, without significant changes to the tap because it, it doesn't have alcohol in so it freezes it also doesn't have alcohol in so your production processes and you know whether you pasteurize and all of those sorts of things and just the shelf life um, are, are going to be vastly different so these are all things that count against small brands that don't have rapid pull through yep. of of this product um, and, and that's where yeah like again when you look at the you look at the mainstream representation of alcohol-free beer as being the next big thing, but it's got so much nuance and so many challenges um, for, for people of any size, particularly at the, at the small end. Totally. And yet I hear a lot of small brands who are going into it, which again, when you look at the what is craft beer, what is provenance, all of those sorts of things, if you're a craft brand that is going big on a alcohol-free beer that you have to get made at a contract um, maker, what does that say about your brand then, and, and and provenance, and the importance of small and local, and yeah, you know, it's going to be fascinating. I, yep. you know, I wonder if it will be 
but what we have seen, and you know, you see this with any particular beer style or beer. You talked about the sort of the magic three dials coming up at the same time, but you know, maybe we will see a couple of these brands rise to the top, and then it will become that that no alk brand is the one that's stocked in all their local breweries. So mm. instead of producing well, your they, they own, just sober. Yeah. exactly. So yeah. I, I was thinking yeah. about just sober like a good gluten free beer. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you know, then in southeast Queensland, everybody stocks sober, and that becomes the default mm. non alk. And then you know, um, th- that's the way that that goes. So instead of it. Instead of so you can keep some of that quality control, you can keep some of that local, um, but actually you just support someone who's experts in producing that particular thing. Kind of like you know, yeah, that seems like a logical way to well, do and, it. And, and two bays with uh, to, to I was just, just going to say gluten free. Bays with gluten free, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. Or a ginger beer, or you know, like something that's a bit more specific. Um, mm-hmm. But what I will say is, it's nice. We talk about craft beer. It's still nice to be providing a beer alternative. Rather than a, a a completely out of Definitely, category yeah. Yeah, option, yeah. Um, a near beer situation rather than a, a, a not even near beer if it's no alcohol, like an actual beer. Option. Yeah, exactly. And reduced <laughs> alcohol is something that we're seeing more and more. And you you know I've been on this thing about what actually is low alcohol, um, because you know there are no guidelines. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that comes out. You know what the campaigns are with drink wise how how the big retailers def- decide to define that. Um, but reduced alcohol is definitely something that breweries can get onto and that requires some more technical skill as well. But reduced alcohol is definitely an option that I think you're going to see people looking for. In other news, drunken Davis lambasted bar <laughs> staff in squid and wine dispute. Now, who threw this uh, one in? Uh, I'm not going to lie, I did, and I think it uh, ties up some really interesting things we've been discussing about generational drinking and how that's changed and how it's different, and also how, uh, you know, we don't, this is the kind of reputation that we don't want in the brewing industry, uh, and I also feel really bad for poor Bright Brewery that the bloke had to go do it there, um, so sorry, Bright, that sounds rubbish. Um but really interesting that it was someone like So what that was the story? He, he got, oh, he got was, antsy um, because there wasn't a good wine yeah, on the menu at a brewery. Was, he, yeah, he was basically like yelling, being real. He was he was drunk as a skunk apparently. Not, and it was about not getting the meal that he wanted. Um, so I think he was drinking beer. Um, well, but, it says he ordered a glass of an expensive wine that could only uh, be ordered by the bottle. He complained about this and gave the impression he was a person of importance and this should be done for him. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? But oh my also, god, I can't believe people still do that. I mean I think we've got a show title. Oh don't order it. But I think Claire oh, it nailed it. It, it, it talks about the generational drinking and you know, these, But also you're at a brewery. Don't come into a brewery and diss our product and try and buy a fancy wine. Drink <laughs> the bloody beer, man. These are the people who are making laws around alcohol yeah. consumption. That's that's what it always that's comes back to me thing, when you've yeah. got you know, police being given a free pass for getting done for drink driving when brewers don't. But this, um, I mean, you're actually, this is why people like Fair, fair get exactly. so angry yeah. because yeah. this is the sort of, I mean, how anyway. do you not know better, mate? That's the thing. And this this is also, it also ties into some interesting things that I see looking at like the planning, you know, when you're a brewery and you're setting up, the local council sees things like this and they're like, oh, my God, you're like a nightclub um, you, or whatever. Yeah. They, they expect that kind of really poor behaviour. So they either get treated like 
a production, like a massive Forex production brewery, or they get treated like you're going to be a nightclub open till 3 a.m. People are going to come crawling out of this. There's going to be crime. There's going to be um, drink driving and all this kind of stuff. And then it's people like should know better and be. Uh, but, but, <laughs> oh, that's actually a great point, Claire, because whenever they have safe drinking precincts or uh, they always exclude Parliament House bars. And as I said, you read <laughs> about more fights and arguments and bullying. I mean, you listen to the stuff that's going on in Parliament and you go, you oh. are the people that actually need the strictest drinking laws um, of, of anybody. <laughs> but anyway. Send them. We should send him a six-pack of Sober and just say, here you go, mate. We think we can help. On a little red wagon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unless anyone's got anyone else, that is a nice, tight Bruise News Week. Um, We're talking about cutting things out. Uh, We've cut out the waffle this week, which is good. Um, That's just the news you need. And that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been Matt Kirkegaard, Claire Burnett and Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. Thank you uh, to our supporters, Rallings, Label Stickers and Packaging, Scarf Fabricating, New Zealand Isle Trail and Also Thirsty Merchants. If you've had a letter uh, or an email read out, you'll get a barblade courtesy of Thirsty Merchants. Next, you'll hear our Brewery Pro Brewing with Green Hops panel presented by HPA. Uh, we spoke with Owen Johnson of HPA, Richard Watkins of Bentspoke Brewing and Reed Stratton of Bright Brewery on the secrets of making beers with freshly harvested hops. It is the very tail end of the hop harvest uh, in in Australia and we are going to start seeing the launch of the annual fresh hop beers or green hop beers hitting and we wanted to for our professional brewing audience speak to some of the best uh, recipe developers in the land about how you use those and uh, also how you should consider making a beer with provenance it was very interesting to hear now I know neither of you have had a chance to hear my chat with, with with them but they're very they used to send hops all the way around the country but they weren't surviving very well so HPA you know there are various hop growers around uh, where you can source fresh hops but HPA are very limiting so they're very much about provenance and a really powerful uh, point so that will be in the Brewery Pro podcast channel so if you're listening to this on the Radio Brews News channel maybe have a look for Brewery Pro uh, in your favourite podcast streaming service if you'd like to have a really interesting uh, hear a really interesting chat about brewing with green hops Thank you to you for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service uh, or joining us in the Radio Brews News Facebook group. And with that, we're out once more with a... Boom! Boom!